Sam Reich, how's it going? Hey there, Andrew. It's going quite well. Thanks for asking. Well, you know, I, I figure that's the, the best way to open a conversation is ask how somebody's doing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Eliza Schlesinger just did, um, who's a fantastic comedian, just did a, a Netflix special, um, and I highly recommend her to everyone. But she uh, she described marriage as waking up every morning for the rest of your life, asking how somebody slept. And I feel like <laughs> podcasting <laughs> is very similar. Starting every interview with, how are you doing? Um, just forever in perpetuity. That's very funny, yeah. My wife and I are always asking each other uh, if we dreamt anything, and the answer is always no. And we've been doing this for 20 years. Just on the off chance, someone dreams something. You're just going to find something. My four-year-old does the same thing. She comes in, what did you dream last night? I'm like, nothing. She's like, oh, okay. I'm like, what did you dream? She's like, nothing. I'm like, well, we're consistent. <laughs> like, we're on the same page here. So you are, I, I want to make sure I get the title correct, are you a potentate, a lord master of college humor. Drop. What is like the, What is the title and the organizational structure of what you do now? I mean, the title is CEO, but I hate it. You know, it's just technically true. But like, what, sure. what a bad group of people that is to be associated with. It's CEO. I was chief creative officer in the former incarnation of the company. I like to think I still have that title. Like rings of a tree. I'm just CEO outside of my CCO-ness. Sure. At one point, I was president of original content. That title went away somewhere along the <laughs> along the journey. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a smaller team now because we were back in the IAC days. There were 100 plus of us full time and now we're 15. From large machine to lean and mean. I mean, the content is still fantastic. So that's clearly working well. Yeah, a lot of sleight of hand, making that trade off without you noticing. That's the miracle. It very much is a no, no, look over here, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain sort of thing. Enjoy the content, right? Yeah, pay no attention to our content getting five times cheaper than it was before. It's all a game of distraction. I'm curious, how would you describe Dropout? Like if you, if you were telling a stranger about this marvelous content machine that you've created, how would you pitch it to them? What is it? Wow. I haven't had to do this in a while. Dropout is a comedy streaming platform with an emphasis on unscripted and improv content today. I think that'll probably remain true for a while. You know, it's a smaller team now because we were back in the IAC days. There were 100 plus of us full time and now we're 15. So quite a different structure. I think the other thing that we are that's unique to us is if you look at other streaming platforms, there's a portion of their library that's licensed from others. And we, to date, are all original content. You know, our library is like the College Humor Library, which is, it's now more than a decade old. So we have, you know, almost everything College Humor has ever made with the exception of TV shows. We're sort of a collective that creates, produces the material and puts it on the platform and distributes it. So we're sort of like every step along the process has our stank all over it. That's really the, the pitch you want to end with. I want to end on the word stank. Yeah, yeah. We'll hashtag that in the episode description. I'm sure the <laughs> algorithm will appreciate it. What leads someone to want to do something like that because it's so mm. I, I feel like there's something unique in being a subscription content platform it's not the same as being a youtube content producer it's sure. not the same as producing network television or streaming service owning the means of production if you will literally yeah what about that made you want to do that 
I think what leads someone to do this is not dissimilar from what leads someone to becoming a content creator on the internet in general. If we think about who those people are, they often fall into one of a few categories. One of them is there's someone who had no pathway into the entertainment industry. And then given that the internet is this terrific leveler in terms of everybody has the same opportunity to put stuff out on the internet, it means that you get like internet stars kind of popping out of nowhere. Uh, people who Hollywood wouldn't necessarily expect sure. to be stars or stars on the internet. Or the other group of people is a group who touched Hollywood and were like, oh, I'm not sure. In fact, if I want to have anything to do with this, I would rather right. create something on my own terms that feels more more intimate and more like mine. Weirdly, um, you know, me and a group of talent that surrounds me all fall more into that second category. Look at like Jake and Amir, which came through College Humor and ended up forming HeadGum, which is their podcast network that's sort of their empire. Emily and Murph came through College Humor, ended up forming NADPOD with Jake and Caldwell, who also came through College Humor. That's sort of their empire. You know, Emily and Murph made a TV show. Jake and Amir made a pilot. Uh, Amir was on two TV shows. All of us have been through the Hollywood rigmarole. Right. And in some way, shape, or form decided that we would prefer to do work on our own terms. Um, Hollywood is is tough. Do you need me to hold for this siren? You know what? I think it adds to the ambiance as we're talking about Hollywood <laughs> and how tough it is having the siren. In fact, I was going to pretend I edited it in, honestly. <laughs> Hollywood is what you would call a fire. A burning, fiery building that is slowly but surely disintegrated to the to the ground. Um, and then why subscription on top of that, I think, is the other piece of your question. Because, you know, NADPOD is on Patreon, but you can also listen to it for free. Jake and Amir's Podcast Network is advertisement-supported. Critical Role, also advertisement-supported. Why subscription? And there's one version of that answer, which is it's just the best business model. There, is. I mean, it's so much better of a business model than AVOD, SVOD, AVOD, subscription video on demand, yep. advertisement video on demand, that it's laughable. Um, but there is a trade-off there. And the trade-off is, you know that probably not as many people are going to see your stuff. So you need to be comfortable with that. To me, that felt like a really obvious, obviously good trade-off as someone who has been trying more or less unsuccessfully to monetize internet video for uh, 15 years. It's like I was ready to try an alternative approach. Right. I think from the standpoint of a subscriber, speaking of myself, and I don't, you know, I can't speak for whatever your number of subscribers are, but there is something, and Patreon does this obviously as well, but there's something that feels, I think, more intimate as a consumer to that purely subscription model. Yeah. I know I'm not getting sold to when I see a new show come out, part of me, and it's silly, but also true, feels like I made this happen. And so it feels like yeah. there's an intentional exchange 
of purpose between the two parties. You did. I mean, not even kind of made it happen, right? I mean, our, our subscribers are always, uh, you know, they are responsible for our fate. When I meet folks on the street who know of us, you know, approach me and our dropout subscribers, I immediately feel indebted to them. You know, like, you know, it's a larger group of people now than it was a couple of years ago, certainly. But it's not such a large group of people that these feel like, you know, the anonymous masses, like these feel like our supporters. And I think, too, you know, we've gotten the feedback that people like that there aren't comments on Dropout. There is a community aspect to Dropout. There's Discord. We have, you know, 70, 80,000 people in Discord. It's hardly a small, small group. But like that experience is tucked away and separate in order so that you can enjoy the content in a way that feels kind of like separate and apart from the Internet rigmarole and toxicity that we're so often exposed to. It's so interesting to hear you say that because I've, again, I have sensed that as somebody who engages a lot in fan communities through different work that I do and has a lot of opinions on how some of those fan communities operate and the things that go into you intentionally putting yourself into that, being able to consume content and not have to dodge around that for me, again, as a consumer is a very comforting thing. And so it's interesting to me, for me to hear that that's even an intentional kind of step, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, we use Vimeo's out-of-the-box OTT solution. We've got a lot of good company there. So does Criterion. So does uh, WoW Presents, which is the RuPaul SVOD. So does, I mean, there there are some others too, some other big ones. And we have the option of including comments and we don't. <laughs> it's like an early decision, which was like, we want this to feel like a safe space. And we feel like a part of that. It's like everybody can have their own intimate relationship with what Dropout is. No one needs to feel um, like it's also a social experience if they don't want it to be. And in some ways, I have to imagine that that is protective or providing of care for your performers. Yeah. If you just are naturally reducing the amount of opportunities for anonymous toxicity, like that's fewer times that, you know, pick any actor is going to go on and see just a horrible comment from a faceless, you know, cartoon avatar. Yeah, I mean, that that that's piece is really interesting. Like, you know, I've been through this kind of like journey of exposure as an individual more than once now. I had this whole other life as a part of the College Humor Show on MTV in 2009, which lasted one season. And it was at the point where I was like getting recognized on the street for a period of time. And then I wasn't for like a long time. And I think that it sort of like made me immune to some of the like vertigo of that, Mm. of like feeling exposed. Yeah. Where it's like I recognize that like these opportunities kind of come and go. And I, you know, I'll take a little bit of negative attention along with the positive attention. It actually like doesn't sort of like eat at me, but not nearly all of our talent feels that way. And like some of our talent have like not only really healthy, but really strict guidelines in terms of what they are and aren't willing to expose themselves to. And um, you got to give folks their, uh, you really have to honor their, their boundaries. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think having that intention of kind of setting some, some company level boundaries and then having that intention with individuals kind of fosters the ability to do that. Yeah. And word gets around, right? Like people, people, especially in that town talk, um, about yeah. whether they were treated well, whether they felt safe. And so I imagine that that also 
potentially provides opportunities or paves a road of goodwill, if you if you will, potentially for future talent. Yes, totally. I will say we are very lucky in the sense that like one tends to create a community proportional to the energy they're putting out into the world. And like there is, if also a chaotic, certainly a somewhat wholesome vibe on Dropout. Uh, someone once described it to me as on the alignment chart were chaotic good, which I really like. Uh, in terms of vibe and we we attract a really good group of fans like better than any fans in college humor's history sure without question we're not barstool sports let's put it that way no pun intended but that's a low bar but it's always good when (laughs) when you can say that you exceeded it i'm not barstool people are gonna think i'm calling barstool sports out and you know what yes (laughs) as you should quite honestly I literally had a conversation with someone the other day that was uh, a friend of mine who's in entertainment. He was like, Hey, I have this opportunity, but, uh, it's by some, it's by people who do a lot of work with Barstool. And he was and the, 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 the public opinion on a lot of their content is so strong. He was like, I don't think I can even be secondarily associated. I was like, that's probably a good call. Yeah. Barstool sports is what college humor would be today. If, uh, we had never had meaningful conversation about our values ever. Hmm. That's both like an indictment, but also, I mean, such good props to you. And I think, I think a good thing for, I mean, any company should have a talk about their values, but lots of uh, content producers and creators who build something that starts to take off, right. And maybe uh, the momentum's faster than they were expecting, or you get caught up in it because when you're in production, like you're just constantly thinking about the next thing that those conversations don't always. And in fact, I would say at least in my experience rarely happen. And so the fact that, yeah. that y'all were able to um, is certainly to your credit. So much of what we've done that's worked out has just been like the result of convenient naivete. Like a lack of experience means that we do things in a way that's like not necessarily strategic, but is more idealistic and like has ended us uh, often in a place where the business isn't doing well, but hopefully like we're doing well by our community and our community of fans yeah. and more recently thank god we seem to have figured the business out so we've mentioned college humor a few times you were there for a while uh, if i pull your wikipedia page no up kidding. i could tell you but you probably know better than <laughs> better than wikipedia <laughs> what what is the what is the journey how does somebody end up not just at college humor but eventually then purchasing it from um the was it ICE IEC IAC IAC uh Andrew, I don't know. I mean, I was employee number 18, 22, something like that. Mm-hmm. I was brought aboard to start making the videos. They didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that meant. You know, we we sort of figured it out hand in hand. The briefest possible version of this, and then I'll ask you if you want the longer version, is... My sort of like ascent at College Humor had everything to do with the ascent of video itself, where the medium was taking over the internet. And so I just sort of like assumed slash consumed more and more of the resources of the company, really, in order to produce more video as that became more of a prerogative. And then the company always had under the IAC days, like a get-rich-quick scheme, which is everything to do with what it means to purchase a company as a conglomerate. They purchased it for a rumored $30 million. This is now getting like way 
into finance. But so, you know, if one, if one, one in this case being a corporation purchases a company for $30 million, it's like, okay, now how do we turn it into a $300 million company? How do we 10 exit? So the answer to that question was always around. It was ad sales until, you know, social media ate away at every middle class media company's ad sales business. There were a few flights of fancy, like the company made a movie that was okay. It was okay. Made an app, a game, got into television, shipped me out to LA to power television. And then finally, subscription was like, now mind you, we didn't objectively fail at any of these things, maybe one or two of them. For the most part, we had success, but it wasn't success enough to like really inspire and excite our parent company. And then subscription was their sort of last ditch attempt at getting excited about turning us into a a big company. And, you know, again, we had like a fine first year. I think we had like 75,000, 100,000 subscribers, somewhere in that range at the end of year one. And it just wasn't enough. And they decided to sell us when we were halfway through a $20 million business plan. And the problem with that is if you're another company looking at us on paper, you say, I have to spend $10 million before this tip's profitable. And my song and dance going around town is the only remaining executive who worked at the company because the other executives had all seen the writing on the wall and quit at this point. Our CEO, who I should say is amazing and without whom I would not be qualified to run this business. He was like the most transparent and educative CEO, CEO who ever came through the company. He, by the way, I said you were getting the shorter version and I realize I've hopped over to longer version. <laughs> Sorry. My purpose uh, as a podcast host is to just shut up. Uh, and so this is working <laughs> yeah. great for me. I'm doing okay, my job good. perfectly. You, yeah. you tell me whether I got to, you know, just make some motion if I should insert more jokes. <laughs> Full disclosure. I mean, my my daytime job is I'm a marketing executive. And so this kind of stuff is very interesting to me personally. Oh, and good. So, okay, great. Yeah. And so so you're 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 talking my language and I'm very interested. So the uh the audience of one for this episode is fully great. engaged. Great. When you edit this, you can decide how much to include or not include. Uh perfect. So basically the writing is on the wall. Who knows if we're gonna sell our CEO quits. Rich Cusick, I love him to death. Our CMO quits. Mm-hmm. It's me and our CFO. I'm chief creative officer. I have no business trying to sell a company. And I'm sent all around town to meetings with would-be prospective buyers to try to explain how this could tip profitable more quickly than with a $10 million bill. And nobody's buying me. I look like someone desperate to save jobs, and I am, largely. My own job included. And then I start to wonder if I'm right. And then I partner with the CFO, uh, Natalie, who's brilliant and still a partner in the company, on a business plan. And we present it to IEC, and IEC has two options. They have me, or they have another giant media company that will go unnamed, but it rhymes with Shmayakam, for like you know, a couple million bucks and no jobs. I mean, it's just a pure asset grab. Yeah. And they go with me because it's the more interesting story. I have 
essentially no money. I say essentially because I put startup capital into the business because it needed to run. But I give IAC no money. And instead, they put themselves in the minority position so that we have control over the company. They have a piece of it as what we call insurance in case we're very successful. Right. And that is like a better story and a better gamble for IAC than giving the company away to a competitor for chump change. Right. Sure. So merely by virtue of the fact that they had no better option is the short answer to your question. You don't have to be the the best looking fellow at the dance or the, or the best dancer. You just have to be the one that's there. (laughs) Yes. All you need is a dance where for some reason they've only invited you. Where the the dance was so bad. Everyone else left. (laughs) And you're, for some reason, still there, like... Yeah. The other reason that this analogy works is, like, if 15 people turn down this opportunity, you have to be able to look at it objectively and say, yes, I still want it. I think that I'm... I know something that 15, you know, like, Harvard (laughs) MBAs don't know... Or, or, you know, all of these rooms with all of these very clever finance folks, I think for some reason I'm right and they're not. And that was the really hard part. That was the sort of leaping into the, the deep end that we had to do. And finally, it was, it was a we because it was me and a, and a very small handful of staff members who all made the plunge together. Is that part of where kind of the naivete that you mentioned earlier helps? <laughs> Is because, yeah. you know, all the all the Harvard MBAs and, and what have you, you have their very clear, you know, KPIs and like and like metrics and stuff that they're looking at that this company isn't hitting or it doesn't seem like, you know, the, yeah. the levers are there to pull. But if you're a little more ignorant of that, then you can step past that and find a way to succeed that's outside of the norm. Is Did that kind of come into play? I mean, 100%. I can barely build on what you just said because it was so accurate. I think... What I would say is you sort of need like just enough knowledge and enough naivete. I did know more about the business than anyone who would buy the business because I was of it for so long. Of course, yeah. And again, with Outreach Cusick, I never, you know, he really allowed me to look at the financial impact of what we were doing in video in a way that no other... CEO had done. Everybody always protected me from the guts of the company before. Hmm. And Rich was the first CEO who came in and said, basically, no, like Sam, your job as a creative in this role is to make stuff that works and is healthy and sustainable for the company. So I'm going to teach you all of this. And without that, I don't think I would have, I wouldn't have seen how it could work. Taking the company over and you know, very slowly but surely and responsibly enacting our plan. It's like we did do things that no one, we have done things, we are doing things that no one else in our space is doing and they're working. Got to be a great feeling, um, especially I would assume, not to put words in your mouth, but I would have to assume that time period had to have been very emotionally draining, right? I mean, I, I remember before sure. I was a dropout subscriber because it was before I could be, but I remember reading about all the college humor people being laid off and, and that whole... Yeah from the news articles. And so, um, I mean, how did you 
handle that, if you don't mind my asking, like the totally pain of your colleagues and trying to move forward? All How do you juggle that? I was really conflicted. You know, I think when that sort of thing happens, there's a piece of you as a human being that feels it's very impulsive. It may be like the piece of us that just wants to distance ourselves from sickness and death. That's like, I don't want anything to do with this because it's hurt so many people I care about. And for some folks in our network, you know, there was talent that we were trying to bring to the table that didn't feel comfortable for that reason. You know, the layoffs were the hardest day of my professional career. Of course, our team of comedians are so funny and warm and generous in spirit that like they somehow made it a celebration of our work and our relationship to date. But I sort of had to convince myself that ultimately what I was doing was better than the alternative. The alternative was that this goes to someone who doesn't care very much about the company and isn't going to offer these folks any work at all. And what I was doing was at least going to be an improvement on that. And I think that's true, but also the rationalization of something that was like, I mean, I was doing this not purely out of an act of selflessness. I was like really interested in this model and believed it could work and was really frustrated and angry that the rug was being pulled out from under us. And I felt ambitious. So it was like ambition helped turn my grief, helped sort of like rationalize it into, I think that this is, this is worth doing, but I was definitely conflicted about it. And, and uh, it was really hard. Was there like a distinct moment where you realized that the things that y'all were doing were working, where it went from being just a, I'm pretty damn sure this will work to like, (laughs) holy shit, this might be working. Or was it just kind of a slow, natural build? Yeah, you know, I don't think it's it's very this idea of like tipping points is very romantic. Right. So we the layoffs happened in January of 2020. We signed our deal with IAC in March of 2020. Now something else happened in March of 2020, if you remember. Uh everything's a blur. I remember nothing at this point. <laughs> we signed our deal 2 days before lockdown here in Los Angeles. I purchased my house 3 weeks before the largest <laughs> hurricane to ever hit Houston. Hit. So oh, good that's Lord. my own, you know, I'm there with you. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in yeah. the moment. I in can spirit. feel it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I feel kinship. So we spent, you know, the better part of like March to November treading water. And then we started like very slowly to grow. And vertical video has been a meaningful part of that. It's how you discovered the platform, apparently. The all powerful TikTok is through the TikTok. TikTok's a piece of that. I mean, the, the nice thing is now is every other platform is trying to become TikTok. Right. We have more than one place where our content is thriving and where we're convincing folks to subscribe. But we've been growing very slowly but surely ever since. We have spent zero dollars on paid marketing, which in our industry is completely and totally unheard of, to the point where I was recently having a conversation with someone in a a sort of a strategist at another company who is like, so how much does that mean you're spending on marketing? And I said, we're not spending anything on marketing. And they're like, right. So how much on a monthly basis? Like they could, they could Couldn't not wrap their head around it, wrap their head around it. We will, by the way, we will probably start spending money on marketing as soon as next year. Look, you can get in on Twitter for so cheap right now. 
I mean, your ads are just going to cost <laughs> pennies. Carpe that diem, you know? Us and SpaceX, the only two companies advertising on Twitter. You know, it, it sort of went from like, oh, I feel like I'm about to go off on a tangent. I want to be careful to not go off on too much of one. But you have to decide when you're running a business what your relationship to growth is. Because the point isn't necessarily unfettered capitalism. The point sure. is, can we pay ourselves decently? Can we pay our talent decently? Can we produce work that we love, that that people love? But growth does protect you in a number of ways. First, there's this classic saying in business, which is, if you're not growing, you're shrinking. And that can be true. Growing is a good offensive move to protect you from the alternative. The other is talent, not just on-screen talent, talent in every department, you know, your full-time staff, your camera person, if they're great, they demand more over time, which necessitates growth. You know, lastly, it's like the whole fun of this exercise is to see if we can carve out this like fun little space for ourselves in between podcasting and premium programming that feels unique and to expand the definition of what that is and to continue to be artists, really, to produce interesting and innovative artwork. We need more budget to do it. So in that first year, it wasn't depressing, but it was like, we've got a small business. And then as we started to grow, it was like, oh, well, that's nice. And then we started to grow some more. And then it was like, that's very nice. And then we started to grow some more. And now we are pinching ourselves. And we're like, not to suggest that we're... Um, Back in the, we should go ahead and hire 100 people back into the business kind of growth. But in the sense of like, oh, we can do new programming again. You know, we can hire strategically. We can be ambitious. We can be ambitious with talent. We can really surprise the audience with what we've managed to pull off. It is a nice pocket, put it that way. And to be able to do that coming out of COVID and lockdowns. And I say coming out of, we all, <laughs> I have opinions about what stage we're in, in the pandemic, but that's not this show. I fully agree. It's not what this show is for. It could be, maybe that's the spinoff. Isn't it so nice to be after the pandemic during the pandemic? I never thought we'd be in a pandemic and after a pandemic. It's so nice. Well, you should come to Texas where there's never been a pandemic. Um, <laughs> that actually might be really refreshing. I don't know which I prefer. Refreshing is a word for it. Sure. Uh, <laughs> It has to have felt validating or, or, or maybe it didn't, but like to have been able to start that success coming through such a restricted time where everyone was, was suddenly having to pivot and companies were closing and people were trying to figure out what the hell do we do um, to be able to have success in such severe limitations then as some of those limitations to one degree or another start to lift, does it feel like the sky is opening in a good way? Like, oh, well, we did this well with all of this over us. And now that's removed and we can go even higher. Sure. Yeah. In a way. I mean, I think the pandemic, which was, let's be very clear, terrible. I mean, I have long COVID. I posted about it on Twitter. I, you know, I've had a terrible, terrible experience of COVID quite apart from, you know, all the death and devastation all over the world. From a business perspective, we were so boxed in, in terms of what we could do that it really helped to focus us and to realize what was worth spending money on and not. I mean, when we assumed we were taking over the business, we were looking first 
for office space. And, you know, after six months working remotely, realized we don't need it ever. And now we have employees in uh, Washington State. We have employees in Florida. We have employees in New Jersey. We have employees in, in New York. And we shoot in a studio here in Los Angeles, but we don't. And we've decided we'll never need office space. For that reason, it also really helped us to drill in on our programming. It was really difficult. It is still difficult to shoot during COVID. We had to be really choosy about what we shot. The fact that we couldn't go and shoot things easily meant that we had to decide what was most important to us. That's still true. You know, Game Changer and Dimension 20 are our first priorities now game changer and make some noise kind of occupy this weird, like the same show served two different ways kind of thing. Sure. (laughs) But like those shows on dropout are constantly duking it out for first place now. And it's like, okay, we need to get those really right. And then everything else is, is gravy. Not to suggest it doesn't matter. It certainly does. But everything else occupies the position of like, well, we're a network, like we should have a a diverse array of programming on it. And the other piece of that is just like, we're some of the only folks that I know at our level still doing full COVID testing protocols, which is kind of wild. It's kind of wild that SAG doesn't require them anymore. Um, We still do, you know, PCR 72 hours in advance, we do rapid fire day of, we do masking on set for everyone who's not talent. We do, you must wear KN95 mask on set or above, Yeah, which is not even the case on a lot of like pro shoots. And I just can't understand why people still aren't, aren't doing that. I flew for the first time, my, my job prior to COVID I was flying to LA actually once a month. I worked, I worked for a cannabis company out there. Oh, hell um, yeah. And I hadn't flown since, since then. And I was actually in LA in September for um, a show. Are you familiar with Watcher on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Watcher premiered a new show in, in LA and I went out to go see that. And that was the first time I had traveled. And in my head, I knew that I was going to be in the minority masking. Not, not as much yeah. in LA as in, but I was like, surely on the plane. Surely yeah. on the plane. And I get on the plane with my N95, <laughs> holding my breath for three hours, essentially. And I'm just alone. Totally. And everyone is just full mouth kissing. And, you know, not that bad. But <laughs> yes, like, totally. you know what I mean? The and pilots just are this, making out with each other. Yeah. And, and again, not to make the whole show about this, but it, it is it is such a an odd thing to me. It that Everyone so has odd. just waved the white flag or waved the white mask, if you will. It was this really funny experience. I think Brennan and I both had this different versions of this. Where we came out of the pandemic, I went to my first wedding, my first post, we can't say post-COVID, everybody is saying post-COVID, my first wedding since COVID on the East Coast, and it was my first plane ride. And Dropout had gotten a lot more popular in the period of time we had been isolated. And so I go to the airport, and people are like approaching me and I'm being recognized under my mask, you know? And it's this complete like, whoa, what happened? While I was tucked away in my home for, you know, two and a half years. It's enough of a thing just to go out, to then go out and people be like, oh, oh, hello, you, hello. (laughs) 
Like, <laughs> I haven't seen anyone in, in years. Move away from me. It was really wild. Yeah. It was really wild. I want to take a very quick second here to give a shout out to the sponsor of this show because uh, this is not a subscription program, but I'm going to pivot my whole model now because um, I've heard it's the best Gotta business model. Got to do it. <laughs> Everyone's doing it. Got to step on that. But if I did that, I wouldn't have this fantastic sponsor. And, and I am lucky that I get to say that I genuinely appreciate how awesome this company is. And that company is Hero Forge. I'm a nerdy, oh, nerdy gamer. Yeah. yeah, I know. Hero right? Forge is sponsoring this episode? Hero Forge has sponsored this show for two years for some reason. Am I allowed to jump in on this ad read and be excited about it? I wasn't going to say anything and put you in the position of having to co-sign my, my ad read, but, but please. Yeah. yeah. No, Hero Forge fucking slaps. We use Hero Forge. We straight up use it as a starting place for our Dimension 20 minis. So good. And I remember... When they finally, I don't remember what year it was. It was around the time I got into D&D. And I was like, what is this? I want to make my own thing. And how far they have come as a platform. But by the way, Hero Forge, great place to make uh, customized miniatures. You don't even have to play tabletop or D&D. If you just want to make some fun, cool shit, alien sci-fi fantasy, You could just go be wild. a craftsperson. You could just want some cool uh, Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa gifts to, to give your friends and neighbors. And you, you can literally like digitally paint. It really is crafting because you are building. You can manipulate all the, the angles and the poses. And there are literally millions of combinations. And they're releasing new content every single week. I love them to death. Um, go to HeroForge.com. Just play with it. Just play with it. If you want to print it yourself, if you're into 3D printing, you can do that. If you don't, they'll print it and ship it to you. If you don't like painting or you're not good at it like me, you can literally paint it digitally. And then they print it through some sort of strange eldritch magic process, I'm sure. And then it shows up <laughs> in color in front of you somehow. And that's pretty cool. So thank you to them. It's the magic of Hero Forge. It's insane. Thank you uh, to them for making so many of our favorite D&D shows look so beautiful online. Uh, we appreciate it as fans and I appreciate them. You should appreciate them as well. Go to HeroForge.com. Check them out. Hero Forge, we at Dimension 20 are deeply in your debt. And now you are in Andrew's debt. And yes, you are in Andrew's debt for this ad read. Indeed. And the invoice will come and I will appreciate you settling <laughs> that debt in a timely manner in a net 30, if you will, if we're going to, if we're going to put terms on it. So there are many things that I appreciate about dropout and about your content. Um, I will wax, you know, as eloquent as I can in the time we have remaining without trying to fanboy too hard. But from a, from a creative standpoint, what I really love is the kind of spinoff approach that y'all take with shows. <laughs> Two big obvious ones, obviously, are Make Some Noise, and then and I feel terrible because I should remember the name, but the Broadway, the improv Broadway that also came Oh, off. Play It By Ear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that, man, that episode you did of Game Changer where the, uh, the mountain is right, <laughs> yes, Mount Port Mount or whatever Port. it's called. Yeah. yeah, like the theater kid inside me, the Broadway lover and improv lover just lost his damn mind. So when you spun that off into nice. another show. I completely lost my shit. But again, is that a thing that comes about organically or is that an intentional, hey, you know what we're going to, we realize that we have a show that naturally gives a new game every single week. We're going to look for yeah. opportunities to make a new thing or did it just kind of go, holy crap, we should, we should just do a whole other thing off of this. I mean, here's a slightly longer answer than you bargained for, which is like the art of new programming, if you're programming a network, is like how can you build out uh, what we think of as connecting circles or overlapping circles. Think of it as this like ever expanding Venn diagram of programming. The dropout cinematic universe. The DC. Totally. 
hundred percent. The DCU, perfect. Um, actually, <laughs> the DCU is probably a DC. Is I'm gonna guess. Um, I, I assume so. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the reason you don't want overlapping circles is it doesn't reach any new people. The reason you don't want a circle that doesn't overlap at all is because you want your existing audience to take some interest in your new programming. So. The spinoffs were like this good, easy, early bet in new programming when we just started to be able to afford new programming, which was like, how can we attract new folks to the platform while at the same time creating new programming that we know our existing audience is going to get excited about? And, you know, we've done that in more than one way now. I don't think people pay any attention to the fact that Adventuring Party, which is our talkback show after... Dimension 20 exists. It's a very popular show on the platform. Um, Adventuring Academy, which we just rebooted Brennan's interview series, is like more entertaining than it's ever been. Those are essentially spinoff shows. Those are more overlappy. However, with Dimension 20, if you're not a Dimension 20 fan, who knows if you're going to be fans of those shows? I think chances are low. Um, Adventuring uh, Academy oddly does have this sort of life on social that's like really robust. People really like those those conversations. Make some noise did really work to attract new audience to the platform who weren't aware of us already. Dirty Laundry and Play It by Ear are both doing remarkably well attracting folks to drop out who weren't necessarily interested in us uh, in the first place. Interestingly, Dirty Laundry is my wife's favorite of our shows. And I like grilled her. She was going to be on it. She was on this last season. And uh, she, very talented comedian in her own right, Elaine Carroll. And she watched an episode just to learn what the show was all about before she did it and ended up watching every episode. She's like, I love this. It's the first thing you do that you've done that feels targeted toward me. As a woman. Interesting. I went, oh, that's really interesting. We didn't mean to do that at all. But, you know, it it just so happens. Right. That it attracts like a different group of people to the platform. I think that as we continue to produce programming, we'll continue to spin off from our existing programming. But we're going to get a little more experimental. Because if we continue to simply building blocks out from Game Changer forever and ever, we're not going to be able to venture into categories of content that really interest us. Categories like, for instance, stuff not shot in a studio. Categories, for instance, stuff that's at least quasi-scripted. Categories of stuff, for instance, animated. Not to suggest that those are the next shows up, but just some categories that we're eager to play in in general. You mentioned Dirty Laundry, and it was funny because that was one of those Venn diagram overlaps that I noticed organically. So I've I've watched all of Dirty Laundry. I think it's super fun. But I was, you know, scrolling TikTok at 2 a.m. As you do, when you start scrolling TikTok at 8, you're inevitably going to be on it at 2 (laughs) a.m. And I follow several different, I'm very much into craft cocktails and whatnot, which was one of the reasons I enjoyed the show. And one of the uh, several million follower cocktail personalities on TikTok reviewed, I think it was Grant's Pina Colada or something. And I was just like, this is such a weird moment where two worlds that I didn't really think would collide in front of me are. And then I thought again, how cool, because 
Grant's personality, you know, as a viewer is so engaging and he can both yeah. be goofy and yet he clearly knows what he's doing in the making of the cocktail. I was like, what a great entry point for someone who would have never found you to just yes. get that little bit of interest from that crossover clip. Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, Grant was looking for an excuse to make cocktails for so long. And we even explored the idea of doing just like a true cocktail making show with Grant. But it always felt on its face a little bit too thin and too much of a departure from what we did already. And so, you know, it was really just like the perfect example of putting two and two together, imagining that Grant would be Lily's bartender. Like what a perfect Andy Richter role for someone like Grant. It really it's worked out great. And like personality wise, as, as a talent, you're right, it does fit so well because he can be off screen and you forget that he's there for a second and then he zings in just with like <laughs> something perfectly yeah. timed and the camera cuts. It, it, it was really, I mean, props to you and everyone who can see the show and shot. It really worked so yeah. well on so many levels. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, kudos. This upcoming season of Dirty Laundry is 12 episodes and it's so outrageously good and the drinks are so much more ambitious this season than they've been in prior seasons because we did 12 drinks we had to shoot them all on their own two shoot days oh, okay. uh, in order to give Grant enough time to to make them and to capture them, you know, cinematically. It was a lot of fun. It's excellent. I'll be looking forward to that. I do want to ask, uh, who came up with the idea for the Survivor episode of, of Game Changer? <laughs> and did you know it was going to be what it was before you shot it, as it was happening? Because it truly uh, is one of the, and this is, you know, not just me blowing smoke up your ass, but it truly is... One of the greatest, it's how I got my wife to start watching Dropout with me. Oh, she wouldn't. Wow. She wouldn't all. I was like, you really have to watch this with me. Yeah. It's really funny. And now every Monday we're like, when, when's the next, you know, make some noise. So, oh, that's awesome. How did that come about? And when did you know that it was going to be a home run? I assume it's a home run because I love it. Yeah, I would say it's up there with our most popular episodes for sure. So that one was my idea. They're not all my ideas. Uh, we have a very great group like creative team now that more or less runs game changer it consists of myself paul Rebellino, who's director of development for us who is more or less my creative right hand person on all things all shows all my shows chloe badner who does art for the show and kyle rohrbach who runs production for us and the four of us meet at the beginning of a season and we throw around ideas. I also have folks who do pitches for the show now. Mike Trapp pitches regularly, so do a few others. I am a huge Survivor fan. Um, I caught on during the pandemic. I watched 10 seasons of it. I think it's like a near perfect show. Jeff Probst, I'm convinced it's like think he's like a mystic or something there's something about him that's like holy i don't exactly know what it is but i also knew because brennan was the one to get me to start watching survivor that there were fans in the cast okay and it got me thinking enough people love this show that i bet if i just throw survivor at them they'll know what to do got this group together, you know, obviously kind of half of them knew what they were doing. The other half did. And I think that was part of the charm. You know, I didn't know what would happen. Obviously we have, we don't have story producers on game changer the way, you know, survivor does. So the moment Lou, 
this is pure spoiler territory. Do you think We're going into spoilers because it's fun. Pause the episode, go subscribe to Dropout, and <laughs> then come back and keep listening. The moment Lou votes Katie out, I'm like, oh, this could not be any better from a story perspective. And then, you know, Brennan finds the idol. He doesn't tell. Allie votes Allie out. There's end of episode one. It's like the lead up to the end of episode two and then the big reveal at the end where it's like Lou reveals voting Katie out and that's do they vote for Lou? Do they not vote for Lou? That was the work we had to do in post. The work my editor and I, my editor's name is Sam Gear. He is an absolute genius. We did a whole paper edit of the episodes where we went through and we watched confessionals. We basically story produced after the fact. And we went, here's where we think the end of episode one should be for suspense. And here's the beginning of episode two, which, by the way, the beginning of episode two is like literally three hours into a 12 hour day. So you have a 30 minute episode that's three hours and a 30 minute episode that's nine hours or something. But the second half of the episode, all that's happening is Brendan and Lou are picking people off, which is not all that interesting. So it's like you have to plow through it at least a little. That's where I feel like. You know, quite apart from that onset magic, that's where things really came together. It was one of those game changer episodes that sort of like taught us just how much we could upset the format and it would still feel like our show. Right. Which I think we've taken to heart in this season that just began rolling out now where, I mean, no spoilers, like this season, we really start to upset what it means to do a game changer episode. To me, has always been the fun of game changer is like. It's a sheet of origami that can turn into anything. And I think that's probably a good moment as a creator, too, because um, you can either become repetitive, which is, is totally fine, and you're producing the same content over and over, or you can figure out when is the right moment to subvert what you've done and let it evolve or let it explore yeah. and become something else and what it could be. I think that's really right. I feel very privileged, let me say, to be able to take this very dumb thing as seriously as I do. <laughs> We have, I am so often reminded, a web series that some people enjoy, and it gets to be my little pretentious comedy garden that I get to frolic around in. How lucky am I? I think if we all had little pretentious comedy gardens for a little bit of frolicking, I think the world would be a better place. Fully, fully agree. Everybody should have their their game changer. My good buddy Johnny Stanton uh, recently got to film an episode of um, "Um Actually" with y'all, which did not make of me, course. which did not make me jealous at all. <laughs> You're good buddies with Johnny. Yeah, so Johnny Johnny was on the show in 2020, and that's how he and I met um, when he was still kind of nice. practice squad. With he's literally texting me right now, actually. That's so fun. Great dude. But I am curious for a friend named Schmandrew, if you will. Yes. Is there? An application process? Is it do you source talent from a network, like purely word of mouth people that you know? Yeah. And at some point as you grow, you know, do you have to expand how you reach out to people? Kind of what's the, what's the process for that, for bringing people on? I wish that it was more of an exact science. Like I wish I had a better answer to that question for, for folks who ask. The truth is we all run separate shows with separate operations. And so Brennan's approach to this is different from mine, is different from Mike Trapp's, is different from Lily's. For me on Game Changer, it's mostly buds. And the reason it's mostly buds is it it ultimately is quite a personal show, if not a little that, you know, uh, dirty word, parasocial. 
And I feel like I'm better able to to write it, to create it with talent in mind that I know pretty well. Make Some Noise, however, was my first instance of reaching way deeper into the improv community hmm. just for folks I thought were very good. And as we continue to do Make Some Noise, we realize we're going to have to reach even deeper. And so for the first time, we're auditioning, which we've never done before. We do something that I think is pretty novel and pretty cool, which is we pay for auditions. My feeling about it as someone who auditioned for a lot of their career is that it is, you know, how to be respectful of your talent's time. Yeah. Brennan, I think it is largely at this point buds and by reputation in the TTRPG community. The third thing it is, as Dimension 20 evolves, is Brennan is doing homages a lot to like this genre or that genre mm -hmm. or... And like there is, he, he's thinking a little bit like, who would I plug into this world that would make sense? Sure. Who's got the matching vibes, you know? With the rest of our programming, we have a laundry list of folks who we always love to see back on the show. And then this evolving list of people we'd like to see. But it's largely because they come up for us. They might come up on TikTok. They might come up via recommendation from some other talent. But yeah, not an exact science. I think one of the things that I loved about Make Some Noise um, that you touched on was how deep you were able to reach into the improv community. Ross Bryan, who has also been on the show, who is just a fantastic improv talent. Oh and I remember Lord. I remember telling, uh, gosh, now I feel like I'm just like name dropping people who have been on your shows, but I'm also friends with <laughs> Beth May, who um, has an episode yeah. of, yeah. So when I told her that Ross was going to be on the show, I knew Ross from the Vampires of Pittsburgh show that he yep. uh, did with Stream of Blood. Um, and she was like, oh, Ross is like, People in improv know Ross and people have like improv crushes on this guy. And I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. And so then getting yeah. to kind of hear that and then finally see that on display and, you know, the the, uh, the McDonald's Macbeth commercial bit <laughs> was just so <laughs> magical. So and then on Adventuring Academy, too, if yeah. again, people go watch that episode. So it was cool for me as kind of a, an outside fan of improv on the Internet. I don't even know how you can say you're a fan of improv. Um, yeah, because I don't know how to consume it down here in Houston because we don't have any outside of comedy sports. Right. Long story short, I thought that did that really well. And it was like gratifying and exciting. Like I'd never seen Jacob Wysocki before. And he yes. is one of the funniest people I've My ever God. seen. My wife regularly says that she wishes that we could just be mermaids sitting on a waterfall somewhere. Something he said <laughs> in one of those bits. Um, anyway, so I, I'm just so appreciative of what you were able to do with that beyond purely entertainment to be able to platform um, these great talents who might not have, you know, been as put yeah. into the eye as they, they were on your show. You know, it's really interesting about improv that it's this art form where the true masters of it. I mean, some of the folks you're bringing up, some of the folks we've had on the show, Anna Garcia, Ross Bryant, Jacob Wysocki, uh, Kimia Bapornia, they're, they're some of the like 1% of improv and they aren't household names because Hollywood hasn't really figured out a way beyond whose line is it anyway to present this in a way that audiences like love or, you know, make sense as a business. And that's like a crying shame for one thing. And also what an incredible opportunity for us merely to be the ones to put these folks on stage, you know, like, some of the work that Zach and Jess are doing as a part of Play It By Ear is like, 
in any other medium, it would be the Academy Award or the Nobel Prize. Right. It just, it happens to be in this like art form that doesn't get a lot of exposure. It really makes you think, I mean, Brennan and I have this conversation sometimes. Brennan, prior to doing Dimension 20 with us, was an improv teacher and then partnered up with us and we made Dimension 20 and his life is like completely transformed. And it makes you wonder, and Brendan himself asked, you know, there's probably a GM somewhere out there who's like exponentially better than I am. And they're just in a basement somewhere. And that thought can like keep you up at night. Yeah. You know, it's that weird crossover of, you know, success being some weird amalgamation of like talent and timing and blind fucking luck. Yeah. All of it coming together and, you know, having that opportunity to have someone, a company or whatever, willing to, I don't even want to say take a risk, but willing to think outside the box and say, this could be content people could connect with and like give you a platform to, to shine in your best way possible. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, it really is our privilege. We're, we're very lucky to have found something that feels like such a win-win for everyone. But Jacob Wysocki, man, I mean, like the guy is a genius and a force and like, God, just like, how lucky are we? (laughs) You know? And you get to see so much that the rest of us don't, uh, which is one of my favorite things that you do at the end of the year when you release kind of the stuff that got cut episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. So so you've seen a treasure trove the rest of the world will never know. Yeah. Imagine what I really don't show you. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Well, before we wrap up, is there any what are you looking forward to in 2023 uh, dropout or otherwise? You know, these days. My life feels really predictable in a pleasant way. You know, I wake up, do my work, try to get a little bit of exercise and eat right. I've really fallen in love with the grind. So I think what I'm looking forward to next year is more of the same. With the possible exception of some new programming that I'm excited about. Any year that I can get without an unprecedented event... Um, will be the first <laughs> yeah, time in many totally. years, but I will take it if you offer. Yeah. What about you, Andrew? What are you excited about? You know what? There's lots of cool things kind of going on in my life. Uh, full disclosure, I came straight to this call from an interview for a, for a job that would be pretty fantastic. Ooh. And I'm very much hoping that that will come true and that I'm not jinxing myself. I was mentioning to you before we started recording that um, a large number of my friends now are on the West Coast and I see them yeah. occasionally, some of them for the first time when I got to fly out there recently. And my hope is to get to go see those people more because it is great that the internet has given us the ability to make relationships that transcend geographical borders. Yes. But it's sad when you can't hug someone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to hug some friends this year. Yeah. That sounds great. I also want to hug friends this year. Let's put hugs on the list. Yeah, I'm going to, (laughs) you know, it seems both a low bar and in the given state of the allegedly post-pandemic world, a high one. So we'll find out how it goes. (laughs) Yeah, Totally. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time. It's been super great talking with you. Uh, I really, it has flown by. It's been a really fun conversation for those of you who have enjoyed it and want to hear more. If you did not know, you can support the show at patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. Link is in the show notes and there you can get access to a whole slew of bonus segments to each and every episode. It's something like 90 to 100 episodes at this point. You might actually oh be God. episode 100. 
I need to check. No way. You might be. I need to double check. If not, we'll finagle it and just make it true. Um, if not, I'm coming back for 100. Th- do it. I <laughs> dare you. I dare you, sir. But there's all sorts of bonus segments with people that we've talked about today. Uh, Ross Bryant, Brennan Lee Mulligan, Becca Scott, Amy Vorpal, uh, some of those wonderful people that you have seen, perhaps that you heard here first and then saw on Dropout, maybe. Probably not. But uh, you can go check all that out at patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. I'm going to continue to have a little bit of a conversation with Sam. I pitched this to you as what is like a hobby or maybe a thing that you're obsessed about that isn't what we're talking about. Maybe that isn't content production or dropout. And I'm curious if you've had a chance in, the, in this whole moment to think about what that thing might be that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Totally. I'll give you options. Ready? Oh, I love it. Number Hit one, me. I've been taking card magic lessons. Okay. Over Zoom. Number two, I am deeply obsessed with uh, the TV show Andor. I think it's like the best thing Star Wars has ever done in its entire legacy. And number three is a game on my phone called Marvel Snap. We might have to talk about all three just because I have questions about all of them. So so this is what you can look forward to uh, if you feel so led to uh, support the show. Patreon.com slash rule for persuasion. I appreciate it. Um, you can follow the show at Roll Persuasion on Twitter and Instagram or RollPersuasion.com. If you like going to websites that lead you back to the content you came from, you can go there. Uh, dropout.tv, right, Sam, is where they can that's find the, you and your wonderful content. Anywhere else people should be looking or following or, or checking you out? You can follow me on the Instagrams and the TikToks and the Twitters. And the handle is Sam Reich. It's always nice when you can get the name. I actually changed my name a couple of years ago, my last name, and it opened up a whole world of uh, URLs and, and oh, social media handles treat. that I did not have before. <laughs> that's Listen, that's reason enough to do it. Oh, it really was. I should have done it sooner. Thank you again so much. I appreciate you, you coming. I'm looking forward to speaking a bit further. And you, dear listener, thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks, listener. Welcome back, dear Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for being here at this wonderful segment of the show brought to you by my friends at Smuggler's Coffee. Uh, If you like coffee, which I do, and if you like nerdy shit, which I also do, you should probably go check out Smuggler's Coffee, smugglerscoffee.com. Nerdiest coffee in the known universe. Um, You've heard me say it before, but they're barrel-aged coffees, which, uh, Sam, I I don't know if you've heard of this. You can take your coffee beans and age them in bourbon barrels, and they will absorb the flavor of what has been in those barrels. And then you can roast said beans, and you can make a delicious coffee out of them. It's truly fantastic. Um, That sounds delightful. I refer people to uh, a brew hope. It's one of my favorites that they make. Um, Very much worth checking out. (laughs) Coffees of Winter's Night is another kind of very nerdy one. Charisma Plus One is a great morning brew. So there's some great things there. And they've been friends of the show for a long time. So I appreciate them. Go check them out. You gave me three options. I have 10-ish minutes. So I want to figure out how to hit them. Let me me give you You the over. the tasting menu version of these? Yeah. Maybe. I might actually hone in on the last two because um, yes. because I think they might end up taking taking the time. Because yes. first confession, I have not watched Andor yet. I'm a yes. lifelong Star Wars fan. I have a, You and most. 
I, I've been burned too many times. I'm not a fan of most Disney Plus shows, and I'm the one person who didn't really like Rogue One. And so, I, Andrew, I hear you. Convince me. I hear improve my you. life. I, I, I tweeted this weeks ago. I have been like a Star Wars loyalist for as long as I've been alive because it seems mostly like the kind of thing I should like. But if we're being very honest, I'm not sure I've enjoyed anything since the original three. Like, not really, not deeply. I'm right. actually, um, uh, I'm, I'm something of an episode eight defender. Um, I actually thought it was kind of like wacky and fun. But uh, also not a big fan of any of the Disney shows to date. Season one of The Mandalorian, maybe. Otherwise, largely not. Yeah. This show is a miracle. It is technically Star Wars. Technically. It is much more than it is Star Wars. A political thriller about what it means to rebel uh, against a like dictatorship. It is, okay. it is uh, just a profoundly eloquent work of science fiction, regardless of the fact that it's Star Wars. It almost feels borderline beside the point. It does so many things well. The first thing it does well is um, it, uh, it feels like Star Wars for adults, finally, like in a mm. way that Star Wars hasn't to me yet to date. Okay. One of in my big complaints, way, so you're getting me there. Yeah, in a way that Rogue One kind of sort of did. But if we're being honest, I wasn't the world's biggest Rogue One fan either. The other thing it does, one other thing it does is it does uh, character development so well and maturely and storytelling so well and maturely. One of the uh, first plot points in it, like the reason, the mechanism by which this thing occurs is a jealous lover and you don't see a lot of jealous lovers in the world of Star Wars. If anything, Star Wars overemphasizes, you know, the creatures and the politics and the technology and underemphasizes like real human drama. Right. And this one doesn't make that mistake. The third thing it does, which is sort of aesthetic, is everything just feels really real, like tactile. There isn't overdone special effects. There is, or like, you know, TV special effects, which are done on a budget. Everything feels sort of like intimate and tactile. There's a lot of handheld lenses. There's a lot of close-ups. It feels intimate in a way that Star Wars uh, typically, like, uh, merely, to me anyway, feels sort of ambitious at the cost of intimacy. Sure. And the last thing is, the way that the show is structured is like, an, it's almost like, whereas like a typical season of a television show would have one dramatic arc. It takes these little dramatic leaps, and over the course of three episodes, something big happens, and then something else big happens, and something else, and then something else. What that means is your like primary villain, um, not to say this happens explicitly. I want I wanna I wanna be careful not to spoil anything. Um Something bad happens, something good happens, whatever it is, you get to see the consequences of that. Like, imagine a world where the Death Star explodes, and then you go watch them inform the families 
of everyone who died in the Death Star. Mm. That's what this show feels like. It feels borderline morally ambiguous in a way that like Game of Thrones felt. But you know, the whole like, you know, the difference between like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones is like Lord of the Rings is like the battle of good and evil. Right. And Game of Thrones is like everyone's fucking kind of both. Yeah. And Andor really feels like Star Wars' answer to that, where it's like you might find yourself feeling sorry for the bad guy. It's really it's it's it is a miracle of a show. It it feels like a miracle the same way the Lego movie was a miracle, where you're like, this shouldn't be as good as it is. Somebody yeah. got away with something. Here. Yeah. <laughs> that almost sounds too good to be true. <laughs> Like as you're pitching to me, I was like, he's, I was excited. I was like, he's going to explain this. I'm going to believe him and I'm going to go watch this show and be happy. But you're explaining it. I'm like, mm, I don't know. Universal healthcare. That can't be good. Like that's the kind of, you know, Andor that kind of vibe. 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, it is critically okay. almost un, un crit, criticizable. It is so, so good. You, you have managed to systematically address, without me sharing with you, pretty much every major issue I've had with Star Wars content <laughs> since the original trilogy. And, 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 and honestly, so like there was, uh, I was a huge fan of the Expanded Universe books, of yes. which there were many in the 90s. Um, and there was, you know, in the late 90s, a, a famous document amongst the Star Wars fans that went around that was Bantam Books. They were the publisher at the time that had the rights. It was basically the story guideline they got from Lucasfilm about how to tell a Star Wars story. And the emphasis was that the galaxy is big. Not everyone is yes. a Jedi. Not everyone is a Skywalker. Not everyone has the conflict with, you know, uh, the Empire and this, that, and the other. So tell different stories. And I think writers yes. in the 90s kind of embraced that because we got some magnificent books that I still love to this day. Yeah. And that has gone away. And a yeah. lot of the storytelling, everything's yeah. interconnected. Luke is going to show up at the end of The Mandalorian in a weird CGI puppet head. And yeah. Like, you know. And so your first line about it is technically a Star Wars story was like, yeah, okay. yeah, Just, you, you have a you have a big canvas paint with it. So, yeah, I'll try. I totally. Try. Yeah, it really does feel like, you know, almost like a political thriller that happens to be science fiction. It's like kind of my favorite thing about it. I take it. I'm very excited. While filled with trepidation, which is potentially <laughs> you the best kind know. of excitement. I will. I will. I will tweet you at you. Yeah. Um, you said uh, we have a few more minutes left with the third thing you said and you said it. And I oh, was Marvel, oh Snap. Marvel Snap. Okay. <sighs> I, I have an addictive game personality. So this Be concerns me. Be very careful. Be very but, careful. Uh, but is it, is it fun? It's fun, right? It looks fun. I mean, so here we have, you know, Magic the Gathering. Sure. Which is for people who have, who are in Mensa, I'm convinced, who are Mensa members. And then you have Hearthstone, and Hearthstone is for savvy gamers. And then you have Marvel Snap, which is for dumbasses like me. I've tried both Magic and Hearthstone <laughs> and been like, yeah, not really for me. So I've, I've self-categorized <laughs> into this. Okay. It is really easy to pick up, like really easy. Like you can become pretty good at it in like a matter of hours. And then... You know, the animations are so slick and the game mechanic is so fun. It is like those other games. It's a card game. It's obviously, you know, 
created by the studio called Second Dinner. I've never okay. heard of. Um, uh, who are clearly immensely talented. It's like very well balanced. All of your cards have special abilities associated with those characters, sometimes a little more on the nose than not. Um, and uh, individual games take all of like two minutes. So mm. it's really easy to pick up when you have like a spare 10 minutes and play sure. a little bit. Um, of course, I normally find myself playing for 90 minutes and uh, got to be really, really careful. Um, but yeah, like super, super fun game. Highly recommended. How much will the microtransactions give me? <laughs> you know, what the game does that I respect is the microtransactions can really only get you so far. Otherwise, you do have to either wait or win. So in that sense, you can't really cheat the game with money as much. And they're only going to pair you with people at your level. Okay. So what so that gonna... means is like, if you pay your way into like a stratosphere, you're immediately going to be knocked down 10 pegs by people who are much better at the game than you. But if you're trying to, you know, schlep along um, without spending too much money, you're not going to drop into a game with a whole bunch of shiny Captain Americas or foil spider folk. No, no. Um, you you are describing the game well. <laughs> <laughs> See, apparently I knew right off the bat it's for me. It's for a dumbass yeah. like me. Yeah. That's great. Okay, so uh, things I need to try and or Marvel Snap, both of which, by the way, Star Wars, welcome to sponsor this show. Um, as well as you, Marvel, feel free. Throw some of that sweet, sweet money my way. Yeah, Marvel, come on. Yeah, it's a paid on. endorsement. Indeed. Unpaid um, endorsement. Awesome. Well, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch Andor tonight. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Do, do it. That. I mean, I was going to watch Great British Bake Off, but I'm going to watch Andor instead. Oh, definitely watch Andor. I watch Great British Bake Off as well, and I'm terrific. But uh, you know, Andor is uh, is more meat, meaty, meaty. That's a funny uh, turn of phrase to use when we're talking about Great British Baking Show. Um, do watch it. Make sure you watch. You know, a couple of episodes, three episodes, whatever it is. Sure, I will. <laughs> Thank you. And you, dear listener, you do as well. So, Sam, thank you again for the for the extra time. Uh, let's do it again sometime. I'm looking forward Hell to yeah. uh, everything that you have prepared to share with the world. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thanks for, for sitting down. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And thank you, of course, listeners, for supporting the show going above and beyond. I appreciate each and every one of you. And until next time, take care. <laughs>